Hello, and welcome everybody to, according to Andrew, number 96, The Forgotten Depression Lessons. Uh, and so, uh, today I want to talk about the uh, Forgotten Depression in 1921. Uh, there's a lot of similarities between that and 2021, what we're currently looking at. And so I kind of wanted to talk about um, similarities that I saw and stuff like that. I read this book a while ago, so uh, some of it's from memory, some of it's kind of flipping through. Um, and kind of checking stuff out, but we'll read directly from the book, because I think it's got a couple good quotes, and there's just, uh, the author, um, James Grant, put a lot of, uh, good numbers in there, and I wanted to, uh, give you those numbers, uh, straight up as well, and then I'll, I'll get into some of the other stuff, but let's, let's talk about, um, the depression to begin with. So, uh, the way this depression played out, basically, is, uh, you had... Uh, the post-war. And the post-war, they were determined that the economy was going to crash because you had all this investment and stuff like that, and it was all pulled back. And actually, let me get the numbers for you here. Um, within four weeks of November 11th, 1918 armistice, the War Department had canceled $2.5 billion of its then outstanding $6 billion in manufacturing contracts. Uh, for perspective, $2.5 billion represents 3.3% of the 1918 gross national product. In January 1919, commodity prices tumbled. Steel mills, which had hardly been able to keep up with the war-induced demand, now operated at 60 to 65% of capacity. Order books dwindled, and then uh, dwindled that of the United States Steel Corporation by 42% when the armistice of May 1919. Uh, not since the pan panic of 1907 had the great steel giant maker seen the likes of this but they don't end up seeing a depression and one of the reasons for this is some pent-up demand and that's where we kind of get into some of the similarities with 2021 uh, but the Morps and Babison had failed to reckon for the long thwarted American consumer purchase uh, purchases periodically deferred during the year and a half of US belligerency were now exuberantly rung up War or not, Americans continued to drive their Fords and Chevrolets and Buicks. Uh, now with the peace, people demanded silk shirts, new cars, and a little fun. So, that sets us up for what we are looking at right now. Uh, so they expect the economic slowdown after World War I, as was typical afterwards. They saw one after the American uh, War of 1812 and the American Civil War. Um, as they canceled orders, as I showed. Uh, this lag period would induce a recession, at least uh, in theory, um, be short-lived uh, as long as there was no debt de deflation spiral. I'm not going to touch on debt deflation today just because it, it gets kind of into the weeds and I'm, I want to keep this focused. Um, however, this did not happen, and this was spurred on by uh, speculative investment as well, which we'll touch on in a moment. Uh, as prices across the board uh, sort of similar thing is happening now. The economy was shut down, and people having an uncertain future incomes-wise were cutting back their spending. Once the economy uncertainty was fixed by businesses reopening, unemployment being uh, instated, people went back to their old spending habits, or in some cases exceeded it by doing projects uh, and held off purchases um, that the extra time and easy money afforded them. So things like graphics cards have gone through the roof. Uh, and, and electronic components. Part of that is people had to upgrade their systems because they moved home. But another aspect of that is, uh, hey, I just got a check in the mail for, you know, $1,000. and really have to do much work for it. And I'm sitting around playing video games. Why don't I upgrade my rig? Uh, so that's an aspect. 
Um, and then on top of that, a lot of people had projects. I know we made a deck last year, uh, and that was postponed partially because of the soaring lumber prices that happened. Uh, but you have this uncertainty in this regard because of this, and then all of a sudden, when that uncertainty is elated, demand surges back, but the there's a lag between demand surging back and production being getting up and flowing and stuff like that. And that's what uh, this uh, pull system on here with the combine and all that stuff uh, kind of represents is how that flow happens, and it's not an immediate thing that can bounce back right away. Uh, however, all economic, uh, economic activity had been stopped for two weeks at least, and the full productive capacity of the economy was not where it was, as many people had not returned to work yet, on top of, you know, supply chains and all that stuff being messed up. As such, demand uh, ate up the supply that was in stock and exceeded the demand uh, and exceeded the supply for the product uh, from pre-shutdown levels, but productive capacity had dropped. <clears throat> so it isn't so much that the money printing that is creating this current inflation that we're experiencing, though it is a factor, it is more the high demand uh, chasing fewer goods. While this phenomenon was partially fueled by the money printing, it will only persist until supply chains get reset and sorted out. And just for comparison's sake, for our current inflation, so um, they always mess with the numbers, but the numbers I could find for uh, inflation in 2020 and 2021. So 2020 was supposedly 1.4%. Um, there's obviously going to be a lag before some of that uh, money kind of enters into the economy and we see rising prices and stuff like that. There's going to be a shortage, and then that shortage is going to drive up prices, things of that nature. So in 2021, we had 6.8%. Um, if we can, if we do the CPI um, for 2021, energy is up 33%. Uh, all items are up 4.9%. Food is up 6.1%, and all items major care categories up 6.8%. Uh, supposedly, uh, housing is not in here, and obviously everyone knows if they've been trying to buy a house or looking to the housing costs, those have also gone through the roof. So let us compare that to the inflation rates in 19. Uh, the 19 or early 1900s, right, 1919 to 1921. Um, so let me just make sure I got this here. In I feel like there was another spot here. Okay, in 1919, farm income from production reached a new high of 16.9 billion, no less than 125% of the pre-war average of 6.7 billion. This record too would stand until the 1940s, having money to spend, farmers bought breeding stock as well as tractors in May 1919, uh, Rag Apple, the great uh, purebred Holstein Friesian bull fetched a uh, heretofore unimagined price of $125,000. Optimistic farmers borrowed to expand. Most land purchases were made with at least a first mortgage recorded on an agricultural historian for that period, and sometimes even a third mortgage, which looked far into the future for liquidation. As alleviating prices for land and crops and breeding stock were signs of the times, and so too were the climbing agricultural mortgage debts. People asked me, said the president of Iowa State Board of Agriculture in December 1919, if I think that this land will stay at this price, 200 to $500 per acre, and I say it certainly will. It may go uh, higher for some time, but I do not see think it will go back down. Uh, just a heads up, it goes back down. 
So we end up getting a crash later on, uh, and um, and you know none of these people kind of saw it coming, partially because you know when you're kind of in this situation where you have demand that's fueling more demand kind of thing, it's like if some if you're gonna buy this product and it costs uh, twenty dollars today and then it's thirty dollars the next day and then it's forty dollars the next day, at a certain point you're like, well I just gotta jump in like. And there's, there's kind of this constant thing of like, well, I could wait for it to crash or I could jump in. And, but at a certain point, you can't really put your life on hold, right? And that's kind of the situation that I think a lot of Americans now feel and, and are kind of put in uh, this place where they feel, okay, well, I want the housing crisis or like the, the current housing bubble to collapse so I can get in a house at an affordable rate. But also at the same time, it's like, how long are you going to wait, right? Um, the first housing crash in 19... 19- or in 2008, uh, that was like really the first housing crash since the bubble started, and that was way back in the 1950s. So are you going to wait, you know, 70 years, your entire lifetime to hopefully just be able to buy a house? And that's some of, one of those things you got to gamble. Now our system's kind of in a weird spot where it's getting towards the end of its life, I would say. And so that gamble, in my personal opinion, uh, is worth it, or at least I, I, I think it is. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, make money and, and save up money as best I can. Uh, so that's my philosophy and my, the way I'm doing it. But, you know, there's the, the classic adage of, uh, the, the market can stay, uh, illogical longer than you can stay solvent kind of goes for this, right? Like this thing can go on longer than you can really kind of afford to stay out of the market just because you have to have somewhere you're going to live. so one of the things that kind of drives a lot of this these issues is some manufacturing processes and i kind of wanted to talk about that uh, a little bit um before we do that maybe i should touch on what this deflation might look like so let's see um so yeah, so in 1920 to 1921, uh, manufacturing wages ended up falling by 22%, uh, and most a lot of companies fell out. Auto production fell by 23%. These are all similar things. I don't know about the numbers uh, going on here, but these are going to be similar things to kind of what we're seeing right now. Uh, between 1920 and 1921, uh, uh, average farm disposable income fell by 56.7%, um, and which is no small agricultural economy contribute uh, which is no small thing when the agricultural economy contributed to 17% and 18% of the no- national income. Uh, commercial fields were up, all that stuff. Uh, but the cutbacks are gonna you, people at this time were kind of used to uh, runs on banks and panics and stuff like that. They're not really used to it in our time period. And so I know at the beginning of the pandemic and stuff like that when people wanted to kind of keep their jobs and stuff was kind of scary. Uh, people were willing to take a 10% pay cut or something like that. Uh, now that things are kind of getting back to normal, uh, and wages seem to be rising, are people going to be willing, are people going to be willing to take the pay cuts that, uh, were illustrated in this, um, this book? Uh, where is the pay cut? Oh, that's, that's a different thing.
steel workers of the International Harvester Company ended up taking a pay reduction of 27 to 32% in August for a grand total of 44%. Oh, first they were cut by 20%, and then they were cut by an additional 27 to 32% for a total of 44%. Are people going to put up with that nowadays? I don't know. That's... With... Because the thing is, like... Well, I don't know. People were blowing stuff up back in, then, too. Like, there's a lot of assassinations and things like that going on in this era. So, part of me says uh, it would cause instability, and part of me says this era already kind of lived through that. So, it's this one's kind of a, a hard one to exactly say. But let's now jump into, like, kind of the manufacturing side, why some of the, these issues are cropping up uh, right now. So... Demand will fall off precipitously once supply is fixed. Uh, and so this is when you're going to end up seeing your deflationary uh, aspect. Uh, and uh, the lumber market's a good indicator of this, uh, but we'll get into that. Uh, uneducated economist uh, uses a great example where if a company needs 20 of a part uh, and you ask for 20, but because of rationing and because of the short supply, all you can get is five of that part maybe, what you're going to end up doing is you're going to put in an order for 100 of that part. And then, so that you can get the actual 20 of that part when rationing's done. The thing is, you don't actually need that demand of 100 of that part. And then on top of that, let's say your demand for 100 gets filled. Now we're looking at a really weird situation where this pull system of uh, that and the just-in-time uh, manufacturing no longer works. Because what will happen is, now, let's say you ordered that 20. And let's say that 20 usually lasts you uh, two weeks before you put in a new order. But now you have 100. Right, so you have instead of two weeks worth of demand filled, you have three months worth filled. Right? Did I do that math right? Two, two and a half months um, of demand filled, and so not only are you not going to, uh, so they they filled that order and they think, okay, well now in two weeks or so or something like that, in a in some interval they're going to put in another order for a hundred. But not only did they fill that order for a hundred, they ended up you're end up gonna be delayed till you end up buying that next order, and this kind of messes things up quite a bit. Uh, this is false indicator for manufacturers that there is more demand within the system than there actually was, uh, than there is, as once the firm ordering 100 can get the 20 they actually need uh, over the order, and they will reduce their demand. On top of that, uh, they'll this will end up being sitting in inventory, which is generally something you don't want to do. But due to the disruptions in the supply line and stuff like that. It's a uh, investing capital into your inventory to make it so that your production can keep running is most companies are saying that it is a worthwhile trade-off in this current situation, and until things get back to normal, we won't. That is going to really kind of mess up supply lines for a while because they used to run on the system called just-in-time manufacturing, and that doesn't really work with how things have all been messed up and the, all this bottlenecking in. So we're getting a lot of oscillations in the system. Let me uh, pull this up real quick. Oh, uh, here we go. He, here's the numbers for the depression. So in um, here's the Fed rate, and then uh, output fell by 9%. Unemployment was 19%. Industrial production was down 31%. Corporate profits were down 92%, and prices were down 20%. So th those were the, de um, the deflationary aspects in 1921. Um, 
So this is kind of this oscillation that you're going to see, and I wanted to pull this up for... So imagine this is like uh, supply and demand, and uh, supplies on uh, the top side, demands on the bottom. So uh, right now you have way too much supply and not enough demand, and then as this goes down, you're going to have uh, excessive supply and not enough demand. Oh, crap. Go back. Uh, and not enough demand, and then it, it's just going to keep oscillating until, like, each oscillation is going to be less extreme, right? And so we're going to keep oscillating back and forth between having too much supply and not enough demand, uh, and too much demand and not enough supply, and we're going to keep oscillating between those until we eventually kind of uh, level out here. Uh, and the reason for that is the fact that companies can't do level building anymore. So level building is basically a manufacturing process in which uh, you have a certain output, and that's how much you output every single day. And generally, you have some headroom of capacity. So if some weird uh, thing comes in, it's like, oh, we have this like spike order for whatever reason. Uh, you can kind of ramp up production for that uh, gap, fill that gap, and then keep uh, running production and, and cycle that gap back down uh, when that has passed. The thing is, right now, that gap is highly exceeded with the showing demand. But the thing is, it's, it's not as exceeded as it seems, and it might actually not exceeded at all, depending on the situation and, and what's going on. Uh, so going back to the lumber example, uh, there was a glut of lumber after the initial shortage as either people were priced out of the market or their demand ha had been filled. Uh, but then the sawmill uh, had an X, so then the sawmill uh, stopped running and then the prices came back down and then people started buying again and then the prices went back up and then the sawmill had to start running again, but it had been stopped, so then it needed to get running. And so you kind of have these, this uh, start, stop, start, stop, where instead it should be just continually turning out certain amounts. And part of that uh, reason is there hasn't been any forecast and there hasn't been any uh, planning that's been able to happen on the part of these companies because there's been just so much disruption and so much of the systems that we had in place were just destroyed overnight because that won't have any effect on the economy. Um, and so it's going to take a while to get a lot of this stuff rebuilt. Uh, it will happen over time, it, but it's just, you know, you, you got to negotiate these things and Hey, like generally now that we're going into 2022, maybe they've taken the time in 2021 to kind of call ahead to their various uh, manufacturers. Hey, you know, we're starting to get a handle on this. This is what the demand is going to be for 2022. How are you looking? Get a lot of that stuff planned. And now they can start doing level build type stuff. Hopefully. Now, the thing that gets a wrench thrown into this whole thing is the debt system or the debt situation in most of these companies. What's going on with that? If they overpredicted overall demand and then they're, they overproduce again and, and have this whole uh, uh, issue where maybe the raw materials people are starting to get a handle on things, but then the the end manufacturers way overshoot their target in terms of where they think demand and all that stuff is going to be. So it's uh, it's just kind of one of those things that's in an interesting spot. Now, reasons that we might not see a deflationary system right now is mainly because back then they had a gold-backed currency, which kind of was gold-backed. So our current system until Nixon took us off in the 1973 was everyone used dollars to back their currency and then the dollar was backed in gold. So before that happened, what the same system was basically in place except for it was with the pound. So the pound was backed in gold and then everyone else's currency was backed in the pound. Uh, then after World War II, that 
uh, switched to the U.S. dollar because the U.S. was the king after that, uh, the lead empire. So that's one thing that um, might limit it. Also, uh, the Fed at the time had a actual deflationary policy that they were running. And so that isn't something they have basically done ever since. They've always been in, uh, working towards an inflationary policy. Now, it doesn't really matter because uh, the Fed has literally no control of that. Uh, in this case, they kind of did because they could restrict or um, loosen the controls on gold via interest rates and how where things would flow. But with today's modern debt deflation or uh, debt-based economy, basically the way money gets created is when you go into a bank and ask for a loan and they give you the loan, that just creates the money out of thin air. So the the Fed doesn't really have much control at all over how this system can actually run. Uh, they're just kind of there to be the fall guy, in a sense. Um, okay, I think that covers all the stuff I wanted to uh, with this. Uh, so, just to kind of wrap up. Uh, so, in 1921, they saw, they expected a depression, and they got a surging uh, hot market. In 2021, we expected a depression due to people's financial uh, instability at the time and the lockdown, and instead we got a fire hot market shortly after, uh, maybe like a, uh, after a delay of about a month. Uh, then they saw showing prices and saw, said, inflation's here to stay and things are never going to turn back until they immediately did and things started to nosedive, uh, debt started to spiral out of control, and uh, and people owed all this money that they couldn't pay back. Uh, even Henry Truman was kind of caught up in this whole thing, uh, interestingly enough, uh, who is uh, Henry Truman as in the president of the United States, Henry Truman, uh, after FDR died. So... He, he ended up having a, a similar issue there. We, we're going to experience a similar thing where people have way too much debt currently in the system. Uh, they took their, as far as I can tell, they took their um, checks from unemployment and, you know, they could have done it to pay off their debts. And I'm sure some people did. I know I did. But a lot of people didn't. And a lot of people, uh, especially when you add on to the fact that there was people that uh, had their mortgages frozen and all that stuff. They had a lot more disposable income at that moment. And if you're not thinking long-term and things like that, uh, it can be like, oh, now I can go enjoy myself. Now I can do... Sh and that mentality has been kind of bred over the uh, coming years because of kind of an inflationary situation and also just uh, general short-sightedness of... I have to enjoy myself now because things are getting worse and worse and worse within America. So if I don't enjoy it now, I'm never going to kind of get it. There's that kind of mentality. I know I feel it from time to time. So uh, I'm assuming other people are similar in that regard. Uh, but yeah, 1921, there's some similarities. There's some differences. But ultimately, we will see how things play out. Uh, hopefully, you guys found this informative. Uh, if you have any questions, uh, write them down in the comments. I'm on YouTube. I'm on BitChute. I'm on uh, Podbean and all other podcasts. Uh, I'm on a uh, the Apple and uh, Spotify and all that stuff, Google uh, Podcasts. So you can find me there. Uh, leave me a comment, and I'll, I'll respond to it. Or if it's insightful uh, question, maybe it'll uh, spur another podcast. So please let me know. Thank you guys for having a good day. Uh, this has been According to Andrew, and goodbye.